Ocean Cast, everyone. The world's number one Jean-Jacques Leroy fan podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> going all right, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. That that's a that's a pretty good tagline. I hope we can stay consistent with that. <laughs> oh, we can only hope so. So this is week nine of the fall season. Uh, we are, of course, covering all sports anime from November 27th to December 3rd. And shockingly, for the first time in about a month, we actually have all the shows to cover this week. Yeah, uh, no unscheduled outages from any of the nine series we cover. Uh, right. Un- unexpected considering the recent quality of shows like Tiger Mask and Long Riders. <laughs> and they-, they managed to pull it together, if only for one week. One week. So we got a lot to cover this week, so I'm just going to go ahead and just jump right into Yuri on Ice. All right. So, this week, we continue off from where we basically ended last week. Uh, we have, essentially, all of the main contestants performing their, the second act of their routine. We have uh, Emil performing his cyberpunk routine, right. which is kind of an interesting routine. Uh, we have Mikkel having to perform a dance to essentially break up with his sister right. as she, <laughs> as she ins- basically insists. And then we also have, most importantly, we have Yurio performing his routine after his grandfather does end up coming to visit him just before his match or his performance, right. which sort of inspires him to push himself further than he has before. He's doing something crazy like doing six ru- uh, loops in a single routine, which is something that is not generally done. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Yuri, who starts up his routine and he's kind of after seeing Yurio's routine it seems to inspire something in him which allows him to also try and perform some more mis- like go a little bit beyond what he knows in his performance he kind of starts off the episode saying you know I'll just do what I do in practice with uh with Victor you know I'll just do the same thing with Yakov and a you know, he kind of sees, like, I can't just do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to try and push myself a little further. And he ends... He basically ends up in third place. And so, then Jean-Jacques Leroy jumps in, and he just has the best routine. Yeah. Like, he just go. He's basically like, I cannot let these kids, up, like, overtake me. Mm-hmm. I have to... Just go out there and just do the best performance of my life. And he basically does and gets first place. Right. And so Yuri gets fourth place. This knocks Yuri out of third place. He goes into fourth place, but he just barely gets, like, squeezes by. Mm-hmm. So he, Because he... What was that? I was just going to say, yeah, so he's still able to go to the Grand Prix finale. Right. But he also realizes that, you know... You know, I just barely squeaked by here. I gotta, I gotta bring it back up. Yeah. And the episode ends with Yuri going off to meet Victor at the airport. The two have this very tender moment where they see each other on the other side of the glass as Yuri, or as Victor is leaving the plane. And the two just start running side by side along one another. And Yuri just dives into him and asks Victor, I need you to be my coach forever. Right. And that's where the episode ends. I'm pretty sure it was Yuri getting off the plane, but yeah. the Oh, right. Well, Victor getting off the plane, but yeah. 
Or wait, was it Yuri? It was Yuri. Oh. Yeah, it was Yuri flying back to Japan. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes way more sense as the because Victor has his dog with him. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never it's mind. Not that never critical mind. to the plot though. Um. <laughs> yeah. Overall, it was a good episode. It didn't. I mean. It was interesting in that the focus didn't really feel like it was on Yuri nearly as much as it has been previously. Right. Which is kind of interesting. One of the biggest parts of this episode was, and I kind of alluded that to this before, mm-hmm. was Sala just laying down the law with her brother, with Mikkel, and being like, you cannot keep clinging to me like you have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's and... there's a lot of great lines when she sort of she basically confronts him before he goes on the rink, and the one that I thought thought was uh, the most poignant was she told her brother, "Hey, I'm not every woman in the yes. world." Like you know, and and so she she's like, I, "You can't put me on this pedestal. You can't go around protecting me all the time. Like I don't need your help. I'm an independent adult." I'm going to go to the Grand Prix finale without your help. Uh, and I'm going to date guys who aren't <laughs> you. Like, it's a, you have to be comfortable with that. Yeah, exactly. And he kind of has a problem with that at first because he just sort of dies, dives into her arms or just kind of like gives her a hug. Is like, no, like I need to, I need your support. Yeah. And she's like, you got to separate yourself from me, man. Yeah. And so his big routine I wasn't sure what to make of this, honestly, because, you know, he has this very soulful, like, very dreary piano music playing for his routine, and this is kind of supposed to represent his big breakup with his sister. Uh-huh. And I all I could think is, man, he really lucked out with his choice of music, because don't they have to pre-select their tracks? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is obviously a, a pleasant coincidence. I think... While he was skating, actually, he said, you know, Sala, this is the last time that I skate for you. And she, she's in tears, and they manage to reconcile somewhat, but they still... Ultimately, Sala says, hey, well, clearly we're better apart than together, because yeah, yeah. you skated better than you ever have in your life. Right, because um, he beat his personal record by, like, 20 points, I think. Right. And I think the... There's a lot of ways that on the surface this whole dynamic is just weird and creepy. Like, why does he have such a seemingly romantic relationship with his sister? And the flashback did something to mollify that for me in that it illustrated that he's identified himself for a long time as someone who protected her. That whenever she was getting picked on by all those figure skating bullies out there... That he uh, he was there to help and to be her her big brother and he could be the person she depended on, and so on some level I think he just he stayed in a childhood mindset too long where he felt like he needed to look out for his sister he needed to protect her he needed to be the only one who would look out for her um, when she didn't need that anymore when when she had become independent yeah. he didn't need a protector. Right. And I was really happy to see the series turn around at the very end, because the way that they were framing this whole thing about her crying uh-huh. was, I thought they were going to go into in this direction of, okay, so she realizes she needs to stay close to her brother after all. Uh-huh. And she just sort of dives into his arms, and she's like, I'm sorry I was so cruel with you. And it's like, 
are we really going to do this? And then immediately, just sort of flippantly, he was like, but I'm glad I said it because, frankly, you're way better without me. All right, I'm going to go on and watch the next guys. Bye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it was it was kind of funny. And, you know, every time I feel like this show is going to disappoint me or come up short right. in its nuance, it, it doesn't, which was uh, a, a good... <laughs> Good outcome for sure. Um, right. So one other thing I wanted to bring up was Yurio. In the, we never actually saw this routine before. You know, one of the recurring things with this show is that we keep seeing Yuri's routine over and over and over. And we've seen Yurio's short routine a couple times, but we've never actually seen this one, which is the one that he was developing with right. uh, his ballet instructor. And... I thought it was interesting. I mean, I like his outfit was certainly interesting and that he was supposed <laughs> to be on fire. Um, but I thought it sort of paired well with the way he was discussing his short routine because what we said last week was so unique about his short routine was that he was complaining about how athletically difficult it was. It wasn't graceful. It was really, really hard work. It's something you see throughout this episode where people just talk about how physically demanding this is. It's not like graceful wistfulness the way it appears on the surface. It's extremely difficult. Um, And so he was trying, as his coach said, to pair strength with beauty. So his ballet instructor said that strength means nothing without beauty. And so he's able to uh, sort of cut through the simplicity of just being strong, which he is, and also perform six jumps in the second half of his performance, which is supposed to be a demonstration of his physical strength and also his uh, figure skating competence, that he would be able to do six jumps effectively right in a row is almost impossible. You know, that's sort of what yeah, you're essentially. saying on the outside. Um, and... Uh, at the end of his performance, he screams, How do you like my performance, pork cutlet bowl? And <laughs> Yuri, of course, yeah, is watching. Yeah, it's, they keep coming back to the pork cutlet bowl. Um, especially because it was really interesting because even his grandfather, he brought him... I don't remember the type Piroshkis. of food it is. Uh, Piroshkis. Okay, thank you. Uh, he brought him Piroshkis that were stylized as a pork cutlet bowl. Yeah. Essentially, or they had all the ingredients on yeah. it. Uh, yeah, they talk about pork cutlet bowls a lot. He really fixated on that. Yeah, and it's a... Because... I get that they're doing that because that, that was part of Yuri's sort of idea of unconditional love. Well... And, but... Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't understand why they keep going back to it. I think it's just a shorthand that they use right. for d- how different characters are relating to Yuri in the, the the way that they describe or have an interest in a pork cutlet bowl. And basically, this right. only applies to Victor and Yurio. Um, um, but... I did think it was interesting, though, because one of the things I kind of left out of the summary was that Yurio meets... Uh, Yuri sort of leaves the rink in a daze uh-huh. after his routine. And there was kind of a funny gag where uh, Sala, like, after Sala, you know, she's walking with Mikkel and she's kind of like, you know, we, like, yeah, you know, you, I don't know if you're going to keep go on to the next, uh, 
to the next stage or not, but, you know, you did a good job and everything. And then she meets, uh, she sees Yuri there, and she's like, and she kind of runs up to him. She's like, oh, hi, Yuri, what's going on? And then he just sort of, like, hugs her. Yeah. And then he hugs, and then, it, you know, Mikhail's like, what are you doing to my sister? And then he just hugs him. Yeah, what did, and then what he did just you think that everybody. was supposed to be? Well, because Victor, at the beginning of the episode, said, if you're having problems... Like, if Yakov is scolding you right. or telling you off, you just need to, after he's done, you just need to hug him. Yeah. And so, I guess Yuri, in sort of his days, was just trying to... Because he was already feeling very guilty about the fact that the only reason he's moving on is because he did better in a previous... Yeah. Uh, in a pre... In basically, in a previous uh, cup. Mm-hmm. Basically, in the one he just got back from. Right. In China. In China, yeah, exactly. So... I guess in his mind, he's sort of apologizing to these skaters for essentially skimming by. Huh. That's that's interesting. I on the surface, I just saw it as like a weird, goofy comedy gag of right. Yuri, and I think Yuri that's largely what it was supposed to a be. A lot of people. It, it was it was funny seeing him grabbing Yurio and like all the people who had no interest in having him grab them. <laughs> Like Jean-Jacques. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, do you want to bring up uh, JJ's routine real quick? Uh, yeah. Everyone... The the major thing I took away from that was that JJ was just getting fired up during the entire routine. I just He said this line with just such passionate intensity. There isn't enough love. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because he has this very... Because, again, we've kind of discussed this whole idea of his... Whole, that he has this masculine routine. He kind of brings this sense of... Uh, male pride almost uh-huh. to figure skating or you know traditional male pride right. and so the to hear him just call out with such intensity like there isn't enough love in this rink yeah it just sort of has this battle cry almost just to get the crowd even more fired up yeah and he's doing it for all the amazing people of canada okay yeah exactly uh, and i mean that's really the important part well yeah i i saw it mostly just as as an expression of dominance, right? Right. Uh, because he was able to perform four quads, and he performed them perfectly. So basically, he had the highest technical difficulty on his routine, and he executed all of his jumps. So, you know, there's a lot of nuance that goes into this, like, you know, Sung Gil trying to calculate exactly how he can maximize his score, a lot of other people trying to, like, like Yuri trying to build up his score because of his aesthetics and how well he embodies the right. character. Um, JJ just is technically dominant, so none of the nuance matters. He is just so good at the athletic feats that no one can cut, catch up to him. So I think it was just meant to sort of blow everyone out of the water and say, like, there's no catching up with me. Like, uh, right. you, you can't trick your way into beating me. I am the dominant force. <laughs> Which is interesting because it's playing off the whole idea of, in a lot of sports anime, we have that just such that dominant player, essentially that perfect player that every that nobody is able to beat or just they can just barely scratch by uh Uh, and he seems to be sort of an idealization of that type of character because he's not necessarily like a bad person no he's just forceful right he just has a very forceful and dominant personality Mm -hmm. so speaking of very forceful and dominant personalities did you want to move on to haikyuu yeah sure uh so this is the 
penultimate episode of Haikyuu this season, sadly, um, but it was a good one. Uh, it starts off exactly where episode 8 left off, uh, where uh, <laughs> Sakishi is running back onto the court. Uh, it sort of explains a little more on what happened to him. Essentially, his pinky was dislocated, so they had to tape his pinky to his ring finger um, to immobilize it. Uh, but he's able to come back into the game, uh, and now the two teams are basically st- uh, stuck in a deuce. Um, there's a lot of observation on the differences between these two teams, where Karasuno is judged to be unpredictable because they don't have any tradition uh whereas uh shiratorizawa has a certain particular powerhouse style so they're they they have trouble adapting to karasuno's unpredictability which is how they got to this point in the first place um as the match goes on the shiratorizawa coach comments on hinata and says that Bigger guys will always be stronger because that's nature's rule. And he says that I, with my 40 years, wish to deny you <laughs> victory. And he's speaking to Hinata. Um, and there's a lot of back and forth in the the, the tally keeps going back. Like, Karasuno has multiple attempts where they can actually put the game away. They're unable to. Ultimately, uh, Hinata gets set up for a spike. He jumps up and he connects and they fade to black. So you don't actually see what uh, is going to happen next week, um, but presumably the match isn't isn't quite over yet. Yeah. So, you know, this was still, as usual, a very good episode. Um, was What did you think? Well, for me, it was just as much a display of... A lot of what made episode eight great it was top tier animation it was unpredictability it was uh new camera angles new strategies new ways of portraying this that felt forceful it made my heart race <laughs> it <laughs> didn't make your heart go doki doki yeah that's what i was trying to allude to um <laughs> I don't know. I, I felt like I could feel the pressure in, in a way. Um, right. I loved a lot of the, the moments where you realize that even though it feels like this match is going to go on forever, like if Karasuno is just able to get one point, they'll win. The, you know, the game, right. they're, and they're, just... they're almost over. They just can't quite make it. Um, the one thing I want to say, and I, I will pass it over to you eventually, is... I loved a number of instances, uh, my favorite being when with Tanaka, where they're realizing that their bodies are shutting down on them, um, right. and they're having to deal with that. At one point, Tanaka is running forward in order to jump and make a spike, and he's hitting his legs while he's running. And oh, wow. Demand, I didn't even notice yeah, that. Yeah, as he's hitting his leg... He's a, just like, please work, work, just work. <laughs> um, and he's able to ultimately, you know, make the jump. But there's other times where people's legs fail them. Uh, right. Like at, at one point, Daichi, he knows he needs to move forward, but his legs aren't responding quick enough and Nishinoya has to cover for him. Uh, so I liked the portrayal of the f- physical exhaustion. Even Ushiwaka is not himself and not able to perform. Right. The, so... Overall, I liked it a lot in that you really believed the fact that 
they were at their limits a lot of lesser shows will just have people make mistakes for no reason um and have shortcomings for no reason with no background to it um this one it feels like if these characters are making mistakes at this point it's earned and you can see why they would be so exhausted that they're not able to perform the way they normally do yeah that's a pretty good way to put it i feel like so like for example another thing i noticed is something i really love just a very small detail about it is like with suki uh there's a moment there where they just keep having this extended rally and poor suki is just constantly pushing himself and there's a moment where he's just standing in front of the net it's like on the it's like on the third time the ball comes back to them and he just he has his hand up you know his his broken hand essentially and it's just you can just see it constantly trembling and you, you can just just by that small little animation, you can just feel just this whole... They can't let this keep going. Mm-hmm. Just... It's just... It can't... It, it just keeps going, and it won't end, and they just keep pulling ahead, and... And falling It won't back, end! Yeah. yeah, it won't end. I mean, that's... <laughs> it'll, it'll end next week, but... It'll... I mean, it has to end next week, and I... Th- Honestly, like, I feel like that ending was maybe one of the biggest teases I've ever like we've had yet uh-huh. since covering the show with the whole just that whole cut to black and then you and it's like that's the worst part is like it cuts the black to black and then you hear the impact so you technically don't even know what the impact was right you you assume it's the spike but you can't be a hundred percent sure yeah about it could that. be a block yeah it could have been a block yeah it could have been anything it could have been out of the ball hit Hinata in the face right yeah right um <laughs> which but i'm pretty sure because based on the preview it looks like they're still playing volleyball next week so oh yeah i mean well obviously that because the game as you mentioned before the game has to end right um, um i thought an interesting point as well was that they mentioned that ushi has basically scored half the points himself yeah. just on his own yeah and he's still just going mm-hmm. like, he doesn't even have a problem well he does though because um right their setter shibu he said oh shirabu excuse me uh says that i'm only gonna set to you if you're actually performing like yourself you understand that right, right. everyone got really hesitant like how can you say that Ushiwaka? yeah like how can you say that right but Ushiwaka says yeah no you're right if i if i'm not up to it don't <laughs> set to me uh, and there is some debate whether he's actually able to perform the way he should be. And at, at certain right. points he does, at certain points he doesn't, he clearly still has a lot left in, in the tank. Which I thought was, because there was a really interesting moment where Karsuno was a point ahead and Asahi was serving. So they're like, okay, awesome. This is our moment. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where we can put, this is where we can finally, like, end this game. And, uh, Azumane... He does the spike, and it's just, it's too hard. He gets too excited, and he knocks it over, and they're like, crap, well, there we go. And now it's Ushi serve. Mm-hmm. And Ushiwaka serves, and he has the exact same problem, yep. actually. Yeah, it goes out of bounds. Exactly. And I, I thought it was an interesting way that the the alumni from Karasuno, from the glory days, you know, they right. kind of mentioned, it's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was kind of lucky of them for that, but that's still kind of part of their strategy, because they're just, they're trying to pressure Shiro Torizawa, and it's finally starting to work a little bit. It's finally getting to Ushiwaka just a little bit. Mm-hmm. How much do you think the coach's narrative of how he resents Hinata has to do with where this match is going? 
it, because I'm guessing he... <sighs> This, this is something I actually am not big on, because it seems a little bit too convenient, yeah. almost. Yeah. It's just this whole thing, it's like, oh, you know, I had this tragic backstory where I was looked down upon for being short. And I'm guessing there was something in his past that made, like, he probably lost a game because, mm. because he couldn't reach the net or something like that, or his height prevented him from really doing what was necessary. But Hinata's gonna do something that probably he didn't do, he wasn't able to do. Due to his height, but Hinata is able to overcome. Uh. There was uh, there was a nice little bit of characterization. Uh, I still don't mind it that much, though, because again, they tell it well enough. Like I love this moment. There's because some of the other people, like I think it's like some of the uh, like one of the advisors and maybe like another coach on the team or something. Uh -huh. They're talking to themselves. They're talking amongst themselves on the on the side there, and they're talking. It's like, wow, that little guy is doing it. He's almost a, it's like it's almost like he's the little giant, and then uh, the coach just interrupts with like, "Bigger is always better." Yep, exactly. And it's like, again, it's one of those things where uh, Haikyuu is smart enough to, you know, it says a lot about his character. You know, he doesn't because obviously the little giant is a sore spot for him mm. because this is another character who who effectively proved his methods wrong. Right. Yeah. And rather than having to go into this whole thing of like, no, like, no, the little giant was wrong for blah, blah, blah reason. But, and it's just, even though he was able to kind of succeed, there's some difference with Hinata. No, it's just, it's just this quick cutoff of no, bigger is better. Yeah. And for, for me, what that shows is that Shiratori's always definitely going to lose. Um, there were, oh yeah. Uh, old, at the beginning of the series, we assumed Karasuno was going to win. So you can see them play different teams and all that. Right. But Shira Torizawa had not necessarily established itself as a team that needed to learn a lesson, right? So yeah. a lot of times with, with sports anime, you can predict who's going to lose based on someone making an insensitive or ignorant remark about themselves <laughs> and needing to learn a lesson about who they are. And so the the example here is Shiratori's always coach. He needs to learn the lesson the hard way yeah. that bigger isn't always better and that a simple strategy of physical dominance won't ultimately win. Um, right. So I think that pretty much seals it. I will still be excited to see how it's executed, but of course. I can't imagine any way they could justify in the plot for Karasuno to lose now with that narrative going in. It's something that... If friend of mine mentioned to me and it's something it was a criticism of sports series that he mentioned and it kind of plays into what you're saying here which is an issue with a lot of sports series is that when they get to the main tournament they they have to keep winning for the series to keep going uh -huh. essentially and that is kind of a problem with haikyuu a little bit in that sense because we know that because i already know that the manga is still going on i don't know what's going on in the manga but it is still going on so I have to assume that they win this match. Mm -hmm. But again, it's as we've talked about before, it's not necessarily about the outcome, it's about the journey there. Sure. Well, we only have uh, one week left, and it'll be fun to see where the journey goes. Um, exactly. So, marching right along, do you want to... <laughs> that was terrible. Do you want to... No, it's fine. Do you want to discuss uh, March Comes In Like a Lion? <laughs> March on, my friend. Okay. Uh, so... This picks up pretty much exactly where the last one left off. Again, we keep, seem to be saying that a lot recently. Uh, <laughs> where Nikaido is still teaching 
the girls the rules of shogi with his children's book um and that's pretty much its own segment of the episode it's they they sit down and describe how all the different pieces in, on a shogi board work and a couple other rules of, about the game and then they cut to like a two minute song about shogi that isn't translated <laughs> again again <laughs> um and then they move on and Ultimately, Nikaido goes over to Rei's apartment and stays over, whether Rei likes it or not. Brings a bunch of stuff uh, so to furnish Rei's apartment. Um, Rei, the the next day, he's sitting and he's he's talking with some of uh, his friends at the Shogi Hall, and he remembers his father, his his actual biological father. How when Rei started playing Shogi, his favorite thing was seeing his dad concerned and focused on the board because it meant that ray had um, done something well in the game and he forced his father not to put up a facade but to actually be so concerned with how the game was going that he was showing his true self uh, right when he gets back to his apartment he sees that kyoko is there for some reason kyoko showed up at ray's apartment uh, she demands to be let in ray really doesn't want her to stay <laughs> Ultimately, she says she she has to go to the bathroom, and so he says fine, and she stays in. Um, she then demands that she sleep over, so she sleeps in the the bed that Nikaido had brought the night before, um, and says that she's glad that uh, the time that her boyfriend Goto hit Ray, it didn't leave a scar. Um, she says, and uh, then she sort of taunts him because Ray's next match, which he needs to win in order to still have a shot at getting promoted anytime soon, is against a guy named Matsunaga, who is an older player, who, if he loses this match, is probably going to be getting demoted and will have to retire from Shogi. And Kyoko muses on whether Ray is too weak-willed and he's going to um, throw the match. And uses the most... A really horrifying allegory, you know, refers to it as, you know, somebody has to go out and be the one to strangle the dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's not a nice person. She's a very manipulative uh, person. Who, right. She, he told her, please do not come into my apartment. Please go anywhere else. And <laughs> she said no. She demanded to be let in. Right. She t uh, well, he kept, going, he kept going back to the fact that you know, the tr last train's coming in. You, If you want to get home, you might want to go do that. Yeah, like, exactly. without ever just outright saying, just get out of here. Exactly. Yeah, he, he's not um, comfortable enough. I mean, I think there's probably some fear there from past interactions with her. He's He can't confront her directly because he's a little afraid of her, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, understandably so. He, we've already seen how she's apparently caused him some sexual trauma and then we've also seen how she's also apparently pretty responsible for some physical trauma well right um for who knows why but her boyfriend assaulted uh ray right. as well um so there's there's a lot there which i'm sure we'll get somewhere along the line um but I, yeah go ahead my big takeaway from this episode was that this was basically so we've these past couple episodes have been basically raise hope. Mm. He keeps he had this wonderful discussion with uh, Hina, Hina's crush uh, mm -hmm. Takahashi. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, Hina's taking an interest in his life. You know, he's getting people who are interested in him. Mm-hmm. And, but he's already starting to feel a little bit deject- dejected from it, you know, because, you know, he was really excited that Hina asked him personally, hey, I want you to teach me Shogi, please. And, all right, he has, you know, he's interacting with people. He's finally got something of a purpose now. And then here comes Nikaido. He steps in and basically hogs all the glory. Yeah, and he wrote a book about it. <laughs> and he wrote a book about it, of all things. Yeah. And, you know, he's going home, and he's already feeling pretty dejected, and then who should come but this very dark, awful figure from his past? Yeah. And I think Kyoko was described basically as this, as the quiet thunder before the storm, essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, When she is introduced, Ray thinks back to a time when... He, you know, he remembers this thunder in the air, and he's like, oh, I thought it was really interesting and beautiful, but then I have to remind myself that immediately, after, like, soon after that, we had this giant storm. Right. And clearly the the narration that he has is a little bit from the future, at least because he's, he... And the chapter title when she shows up is Thunder, right? Right. So it's, there's every indication that something's about to go down. Right. Well, because it's kind of interesting, because this is very... It's very much in the background, but I think Ray feels some attraction to Kyoko in some way. It's sure. it's very hidden, but I think... This is just my guess for what happened. I think she did... Some, during this form of sexual abuse, Ray felt some sort of connection to her, though. Right. Because, you know, he was young and, you know, they're doing, I, I mean, let's just say it, they probably had sex of some kind. Yeah, they're doing, they're doing something in the, you know, something sexual anyway, but, um, right. and it's, it's telling from what it was episode four or whatever, when he heard the term romance, the only thing he could associate that with was this incident, whatever happened between, right. between him and Kyoko. And so what happens here is he sees her, and he knows that she's bad news. She, he knows that she is not good for him. Yeah. But I think there's a very small part of him that's also very hopeful. Mm-hmm. Because there's a moment when, as she's talking to Ray, he kind of... Because she just sort of brings up out of nowhere that she knows what who his next match is against. And I think in his head, what they're trying to show is oh, she's actually paying attention to me. She actually knows what's going on with my life. She's following my career. She cares. Because during this conversation, what starts off is Rey is thinking of Kyoko, and she's she's drawn to these very warm, almost kind of goofy characters. It's very similar to when they're doing sort of comedic moments with the with the sisters back at their place. Mm-hmm. And he just he's thinking of these situations with her, and it, it's very fun, and it's it's a little bit it's nicer mm-hmm. and then but as the conversation goes along then we get to the point where she's basically goading him and he, she's just like oh so you're gonna have to be the one who takes down this guy yeah you know i don't think you're strong enough to do this mm. i also i also thought it was interesting that he somewhat as a with as a non sequitur brought up so are you still dating that guy you know yeah yeah which on one level you could say well 
her boyfriend is a violent person who hurt him, so she, he's right. hoping that he's just not a part of her life anymore. But you you wonder if there's some overlap with his his feelings I'm, about her generally. I'm glad you brought that up too, because when he asked that question, there's a very significant change in tone of that scene. Because before, it's just sort of annoyance. You know he's just trying to get rid of her. Yeah. You know, he's not happy about the fact that she's there, but there's just sort of this sort of resignation to when he... Because it's like, okay, she's not going. She's going to be here. Yeah. Whatever. So, but, you know, and then he sort of proceeds to just say, so are you still dating that one guy? And then there's this very interesting cut to darkness, and then this pale hand coming out and just sort of reaching around, and then it sort of ends in this sort of flat palm position, and, you know, she's touching him, basically. Uh She's put her hand up to his face and that immediately changes shifts the the uh, the tone of the conversation to oh okay good i'm glad he didn't leave a scar mm. and i thought that was interesting because so the you know the color scheme here is just a very pale a very pale hand and then just black right and it's just it's this moment where she sort of reconnects with ray and then later on in the conversation we see you know he asks, you know, has he been violent with you? He's still concerned about her. And she's like, mm-hmm. why is that a concern? Even if he is, like, I'd just stab him. Yeah. I'd stab him in his sleep. I don't care. So, like, and she says, I just love him that much. Yeah. And we get, and the color scheme there changes back to when she says that to when she reaches out to him. And I see that sort of colors change sort of signifying this sort of weird sense of love that she feels like this is not a love that is right yeah there's there's indications the 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 way she talked to him it was it was really interesting in that it seemed to cycle back and forth between being a little bit charming you know like brother sister sort of like they have this inside knowledge they have these jokes to also being really manipulative and um scary in that there is, you're just sort of one sentence away from someone flipping out, uh, which yeah. obviously was his experience with her, and that she became very violent at the drop of a hat, and yeah. so it was clear where that feeling came from because you know I was I was uncomfortable just watching her. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, I. I think this is going to show a bit of a descent for Ray after meeting her because honestly, with the way the series has been going, either I don't see a good resolution to this next match, regardless hmm. that he's going to have because I think she's now in his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if he wins, he's hurting someone, and if he loses, then he's then, then he's, he's weak. he doesn't have the will to keep going. Yeah. And not only that, but we already know that the stakes are kind of high already, as established before, about how the fact that he needs to start winning some games or else he's going to start getting demotions and then being kicked out of classes. Or kicked out of his class, essentially. Yeah, his his professional shogi class. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I thought this was a very interesting uh, parallel to Nikaido, who seems to be something on the rise. <laughs> Because the series, bef- I, this is something I've been slowly realizing here. Nikaido was very much treated as a joke when he was first introduced. Right. You know, he was weirdly obsessive of Ray, and he just sort of jumps into his life and doesn't leave him alone. Uh-huh. And he, but you know, he's not as good as Ray. You know, he's just kind of this weird, fat, strange guy. It, he who won't leave him alone, but he's not as good as Ray. You know, he can't stand up to Ray. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about that as well is that. 
Nikaido is also, without realizing it, sort of devaluing Rei without Nikaido, like, understanding that's what's going on here. For example, this was brought up in an earlier episode. Rei seems to have something of a thing for Akari just based on how much, you know, how just genuinely, ter like, caring she is. Mm -hmm. And that's the first instance we see of Nikaido yeah. sort of overtaking Rei, almost. Because, you know, she like because... The one she's actually attracted to is Nikaido. You know, she sees Rei as just sort of this person she can take care of. Mm -hmm. And now in this episode, we're seeing, okay, so here we have Hina who wanted Rei to teach her how to play Shogi. She approached Rei with this. Nikaido butts in, but he's actually the much better teacher over Rei. Mm. And Rei doesn't really get to do anything. Not only that, but when he goes to see his old Shogi friends like Mr. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah. Uh, you know, they talk very passionately and very enthusiastically about Nikaido, how touching they thought it was during that one match of his, of uh, Ray's, that... That Nikaido you know, cared He was basically so trying to help his friend. Yeah. Um, and so all... He, yeah, you're right. I didn't think about this, but all Ray hears is other people telling him how great Nikaido is. Right. And so when Nikaido just shows up and wants to be Ray's friend, he's like, back off, man. Like I, right. I, you are taking my life. Like I don't, I the the few good things I have, you're you're intruding on them. Yeah, you're encroaching on you're encroaching on my good life. And not only that, but Nikaido is freaking rich. Yeah, he's loaded. He has his butler bring him a bed just so he can sleep in Ray's house. Yeah, uh, I wonder. And this is the last thing before we need to move on. The uh, yeah, we got to move on. Do you think there's any parallel between? Uh, Nikaido showing up unannounced and uh, sleeping over and then Kyoko doing the same thing. <laughs> I was thinking about that and I couldn't quite make the connection there, but that thought had occurred to me. And I guess it's just that and Nikaido, in spite of everything, I don't think Rei wants to admit it, but Nikaido is still a positive influence on his life. Mm. Because I, I think he's trying to sh in, without knowing it, he's showing Rei that People can people can intrude in people's lives and not hurt them. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what Ray feels like. He intruded on Kyoko's life and you know her whole thing and basically hurt all of them. Right. Whereas Kyoko is intruding in his life. He in his he doesn't want her there, but in a in a weird way he kind of does. Yeah, so you think it's sort of like a dark side, light side, where yeah, he's been of. presented with both options for the way he can move forward, and he's probably going to follow Kyoko. Yeah, probably. I don't think... I think the series is going to end still with him pulling out of it, but I think things are going to get worse before they get better. Yeah, I agree. Alright, um, so speaking of things getting worse, do you want to talk about Scorching <laughs> Ping Pong Girls? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Okay. okay, so the episode begins with Agari starting her match against Zakuro, and she can't seem to make any headway against her. She's using her famed forward smash, even though she was established as being a driver. Right. Um, but the two are are neck and neck constantly, and Agari is frustrated because. She should be pulling ahead very easily. We don't really get much description as to how she should be pulling ahead or what Zakuro is actually doing to yeah. shut her down. Yeah. 
And that's... But, you know, whatever. And during this match, we get a bit more history on Karuri, who was... Who transferred to the school? She was already a very talented player ahead of time. I didn't quite catch that. She was like a she was in a club, I think, before. Yeah. Just in like a separate. I don't think it was related to her high school, her previous school, or I could be wrong about that. But she was in a club before, and she did. She was a very talented member of that club, and she she basically beat down all of the seniors of that school of her new school. Mm-hmm. And when she did that, she was expecting to be sort of dejected, or maybe she just didn't even think anything about it. But the girls there are like, no, 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 it's fine. If you beat them, you're, you're, you should be our captain now. Because if you beat them, then they couldn't handle the game anyway. So we want you to be our captain, and we want you to train us. And what we find is that Karuri is kind of insane when it comes to her training. And she's just working these girls to the bone. And... They kind these girls have essentially bitten off more than they can chew, mm-hmm. and everybody quits, which sort of which leaves Karuri completely alone, and she's realizing to herself, I push, the, I, I can't interact with normal people. Right. That is until Zakuro shows up to practice, completely bandaged for some reason, but okay. And what happens is Karuri is very. She gets very excited about this because, oh, okay, so I got one person who can stick with with me. And so the game, and so the two continue to practice. Zakuro slowly gets better and better. They attract a couple of new players who are the current players on the team. And Karuri decides, okay, Zakuro should be the captain here. She's better at leading people than I can. Yeah. And, but unfortunately for Zakuro, she doesn't anticipate the fact that Agari suddenly has a very good left backhand. Uh-huh. And that is what causes uh, Zakuro to eventually lose. That's what allows Agari to pull, to pull ahead in the end. And because Agari found motivation because she wants uh, Koyori's heart to go doki-doki uh-huh. during her final match. And she knew that if she lost this match, then Koyori wouldn't be able to play. Right. And then the next match begins, and we have... Karuri using some sort of tornado technique to essentially control the the course of the ball. Yeah. Um, and then it just sort of ends there and that uh, right. Kuyori isn't able to uh, return the Karuri right. serve. Um, right. It is... Well... And briefly, the, the tornado, luckily, I think, was a metaphor... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I should mention that. Yeah, but so Karori is able to put on, and they'll they'll describe it next episode. She's able to put on some kind of spin where no yeah. matter how the other person returns it, there's so much spin on it that it will slice off the table um, if they they try to hit it back. Um, but yeah, so there's there's a couple things I want to bring up with this episode. The first and most important is uh, the blushing. Um, <laughs> yes um can i just bring that up can i talk about sure, that just real ahead. quick yeah well because we were we so we did a simul watch of this one and i for, was it me or you who brought I, it up? I noticed it first okay yeah you were the one who noticed it first well because okay i remember now because you noticed that their legs and knee or their knees and their elbows were really red yeah 
And you were like, well, they haven't been diving or anything or that, right? And then I, I was trying to look for what you were talking about, and I noticed that all the girls were blushing. Mm-hmm. Just, they've been, and then it occurred to us, they've been blushing all of this time. Yeah, it's just built into their character designs that every character is blushing all the time, akin to Tsukamoto from Days, but it's Days. every character. It's a little less obvious because, again, you know, you don't notice the tones so much. Uh-huh. Because it took us nine episodes to actually notice right. it. As Whereas with Tsukamoto, I think we notice it almost immediately. Well, he just but... has pink circles on his face. Right. So <laughs> you, you can't. it's kind of hard to ignore something like that. But when, when it's kind of subtly imbued into their skin tone, you don't notice it too much. But yeah, all of these girls are just blushing all the time. Yeah, they're, and they're not just blushing. No matter whether they've been doing physical activity or not. They're blushing, their elbows are blushing, and their knees are <laughs> blushing at all times. Um, right, and go ahead. I don't know where that... It comes from somewhere in recent art trends in anime. It's this whole notion that girls are so shy that they need to just be... Const- like, the blood must just constantly be rushing to them. Yeah. Well, I think they do blush easily when it when you right. whenever they have an emotional reaction to anything their face goes completely red that's a recurring right. thing but they're just the the it's just so strange to me who thought it would be a good idea for their faces and all their extremities to never not be blushing <laughs> right um like i don't know it's well not again, extremities it's one of those creepy pandering things yeah like because, you know, you have to have your pure wife who's just always a little bit shy just because, you know, that's what the blush signifies. You know, they're just a little shy. Yeah. And, but, you know, they're but it's they're still very pure. Yeah. yeah. It's just, oh, my God. It's just, oh, it's so, it's gross is what it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the show is becoming increasingly that way. Um, so what did you think of the ping pong that definitely was played in this episode? Uh, it, it was not def- yeah. definitely played. Yeah. It was very clearly just completely skipped over, almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess my problem is that we don't really even get any explanation as to how Zakuro is able to shut down a guard. Yeah, what's her strategy? Hitting it back? Yeah, she's... Yeah, I, that's what it is, essentially. She's just hitting it back. Yeah. It, it, it's having the same problem that Cheer Boys ended up having, which was they started off seemingly knowing something about the sport that they're trying to engage <laughs> in, but then they just break down, and it's like, oh, they just do it. Yep. And that's just, it, it's not that interesting. Yeah, and they have a similar problem that Cheer Boys had where a lot of action happens off screen. I mean, yeah. there were entire games in this match with Agari where you just had sound effects of ping pong being played and then <laughs> still shots of other characters reacting while the score yeah. went up so this was very definitely a series where at the very least for the ping pong sections they they kind of blew their budget at the beginning of the series to kind of rope people in mm-hmm. yeah or they just you know the the production schedule got out of hand where they were able to get ahead of the curve on the first few episodes, but eventually the production schedule caught up, and they didn't have as much time to do actual animation as they right. used to, so they started sacrificing um, the action scenes. 
because they had to. They they had they had no option in order to actually get these episodes done. I mean, that wouldn't right. surprise me at all. It's just it just sucks because it's really boring to watch. And so, uh, changing subject just a little bit here. I don't understand Agari's motivation. Well, it's not so much that I don't understand it. It's uh, just that she it's wants stupid. Kiyori's heart to go doki doki. I think she explained that very clearly, man. <laughs> well, okay, fine. I'm just saying it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense the way they explain it. I think it's just your classic Yuri baiting, where right. they don't say enough to justify it in universe. But they say enough to get the fanboys to create a headcanon of right. uh, these characters being together and having an unspoken emotional relationship. Um, so making Koyori's heart go doki-doki, she just wants to make Koyori happy because that's all she cares about. You know, like, okay, but why, though? Because they met, like, <laughs> a month ago... And right. just play ping pong after school, and you haven't seen well, anything else. Um, well, because, again, that was kind of established before. I felt like their relationship was decently established at first, because, you know, Koyori was sort of challenging Agari. She yeah. was becoming very complacent, you know, she just wanted to be the number one, and Koyori shows her, hey, there's more to the world, there's more to ping pong than just trying to be number one. Right, they were rivals and then friends, but now it's like, why do they both blush around each other so much? <laughs> When any when either of them says anything to the other one, the other one's like, right. "Oh my gosh!" It's like you see well, each other every was... day. Why are you freaking yeah, out? Yeah, exactly. What I was trying to get at more is just the. What I was just trying to get at was, this is supposed to be a practice game. Yeah. So the fact that Agari's motivation comes from the fact that. Because if she loses, then that means that the that the match is over, and then they all have to go home. But it's a practice match, you know. They're trying to learn from one another, you know. Yeah, I. Why wouldn't they just have her play the game anyway? Well, in in universe, it's because Koyori has such an amazing love of the game that anytime she plays, her heart goes doki doki, and it's just her favorite thing in the world. And uh, Igari doesn't want to be the one to deny. Koyori having the chance to uh right doki. I know I understand that I'm just saying that practically it doesn't make any sense it's a practice session just yeah just, just ask it's like okay I know we oh, lost but yeah. do you mind if our if our you know if we have this very talented newcomer do you mind if we have her just practice against Karuri in a in a real match yeah exactly like <laughs> yeah there's nothing that's stopping them they're just girls right. in this a gym like they're not they're not at the tournament right yeah, that's uh, that. That's a funny point. Uh, I don't know. This series isn't smart enough to address that possibility. Yeah, and I know. I, I did want to just mention one thing. I did like Karuri's backstory. I, I did mention before I did kind of like this episode before we started our yeah. recording. That was the thing I did like, and that was the side of the Scorching Ping Pong Girls I did originally like. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was good. I thought it, ju it justified a lot of the relationship with her and Zakura. I was like, oh, okay here's this really socially awkward person who finally found someone that isn't put off by her. So, right. Um, so Karuri's whole goal is to nurture Zakuro and to make Zakuro a celebrity a, to, in, as a way of saying, thank you for being my friend when, you know, everybody else gave up on me. Um, right. And to me, I'm like, okay, you earned that one. Uh, you didn't earn <laughs> anything else uh, right. with but you know all what, that... of your main characters, but you earned that one. Right. You know, I thought it was a bit of an interesting take on the 
on the character who try and you know the captain who trains their ca- their team too much. Yeah. Um, overall though, it was. I mean, it wasn't good. Um, no, no, it wasn't. The, the show is not getting better. Uh, we we went into this hoping that we would be seeing a set of episodes where you had a lot of ping pong, and somehow in a set of episodes that are dedicated exclusively to a ping pong match, there's actually less ping pong than there ever has been. Um, yeah. So I think that's all that needs to be said about that. Uh, yeah. Do you want to move on to Tiger Mask? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Go on to it. So, Tiger Mask Episode 9 uh, it basically starts off the, the tournament between the masked Japanese wrestlers and uh, GWM. Uh, so, the Japanese team, uh, there, there's four Japanese wrestlers and four GWM wrestlers. The Japanese have Fukuwara Mask, uh, Tiger Mask, and then Ryu in a mask, who calls himself Dragon Young... And Tanahashi in a mask, who call who's calling himself "It's the Ace." Yes, which is the best name in the show so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's even hyphenated. It's the Ace. Yes, hyphenated. Um. So you know, on the other side is uh some random guy who's gonna lose uh Tiger of the Dark, Yellow Devil, and the European Champ Wagner. Who apparently is just <laughs> Kevin in a mask. <laughs> um, and so, so Takuma talks to Yellow Devil. He really wants to spar with him. Uh, Yellow Devil says something like, Sparring won't be enough for you. So you can assume that Yellow Devil recognizes who Takuma is. Um, they set up the tournament and they have it split up. So um, Tiger Mask isn't able to fight Yellow Devil at first. Uh, and he just jumps up over to Yellow Devil and says, like, I, I don't care what they say, I want to fight you. Ends up getting in a brawl with Tiger the Dark in the middle of the ring, and they have to get separated. Ultimately, the, the first match is uh, Fukuwara Mask fighting Tiger the Dark, uh, and Fukuwara is very funny, uh, and then <laughs> Tiger the Dark does a Darkness Driver and knocks him out at the end. Um and then the second match is supposed to be Tiger Mask versus Kevin slash Wagner. Um, <laughs> but a mysterious man in white uh, shows up in the ring. as a guy calling himself Mr. Question, representing yes! India, which is apparently supposed to be a reference to the old show. Uh, and so Mr. Question beats up Wagner and then takes his place in the fight. So the next episode he's going to fight Tiger Mask. Okay, so I felt like this episode is getting the series more to a place that I wanted to see in the first place. Silliness? We have... What? His silliness? <laughs> yes, yes, there we go. We're starting to finally get weird matches with weird characters. Yeah. We have pretty stupid moments like Fukawara Mask apparently just traveling to the stadium on the bus in full gear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With everybody commenting, is that a pro wrestler? Like, <laughs> like why would you? It's like we've seen who Fukuwara is underneath the mask. Yeah. Why would he leave the mask on in public? Right. I understand that as the viewer, you want to show the scene just to, like, to kind of preserve this mystery of Fukuwara mask. But it's not really a mystery to us anymore. We know who it is. Yeah. Even though we don't know who it is, we just know he has a. We've seen. We know his what face. he looks like yeah. though. Yeah. That's the important part. 
And also, I just, I love the presence of Mr. Question. Mr. Question. Mr. Question! (laughs) Ah, he's so cool, and I'm just, I, as soon as he showed up, I was just immediately excited, as soon as I saw that costume. Yeah. It's just, well, so it's, basically his costume is billowing white robes, a long white cape, and he's wearing a slanty, kind of turban. um, Yeah. On, on his head, and he just identifies himself as Mr. Question, representing India. <laughs> okay. One of, of the best parts is that they mention that, okay, so I guess I get, instead of going up against Wagner, we're going up against Mr. Question, who we have no data on. But they mentioned earlier in the episode that he's the All-Asia champion. Yeah, it was... It wasn't clear if that was referring to the original Mr. Question. Oh, okay. Um... Because he, he mentions that, like, he's taking the place of an old Mr. Question who fought Tiger Mask before. Um, so, I, it, it, was a, it was a bad line, but that's what I interpreted. Okay, from. that's fair. Um, um, it was funny, though, that when he jumped in, he said, Who's Wagner? I've never heard of him. Uh, <laughs> and they referred to that earlier in the match where everyone's like, uh, Wagner, guys... He's not the European champ. It's just Kevin. Uh, <laughs> like why? And, and Miss X is basically just like, it's fine. It's whatever. The internet doesn't exist. No one will know. <laughs> Nobody will know. It's fine. People just. I, that was actually something I did kind of like a little bit was that they do acknowledge. Okay, so these are not the same people in these costumes all the time. People will take over costumes. Yeah. For like. This is a wrestling series that is actually somewhat addressing the fact that these are characters people are playing. Mm. And that, okay, so sometimes people will put on a new costume and, like, they will take on the mantle of the old wrestler. Unless it's Gorilla Jeet Singh. Right, well, of course. Um, so, w- what did you think of Fukuwara Mask's match? I wanted to like it. Yeah, but There's it was terrible. Lot... <laughs> right. Um, so, go ahead. my big... Com- I, I have one real big complaint about it. I was generally fine with it at first. Mm-hmm. The problem is that when he gets Tiger the Dark on the ground, he jumps, he goes up onto the post, and he ju- and you know he does his dive bomb onto him, but he misses. Yeah, for no reason. For no reason. And so, okay, I realize that he's trying to play up the clown. You know, that's his whole act is that he's he's the clown wrestler. He's the he's the goofy one. He's the funny one, but he sort of weirdly pulls out wins. Uh-huh. But we already saw in the episode before, when he was introduced, that he's actually a very good technical wrestler still. Mm-hmm. When, brought, when brought to the point, he can still do what he needs to do. Yeah. So the fact that he wasn't able to pull off that pile driver, or not that pile driver, that dive bomb or whatever it was, that diving thing he was doing, he, he should have been able to do that, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, what was the point of him showing up just to lose? I mean, right. that's what, what gets me, is that in the original Fukuwara Mask episode, it was it felt like the show was trying to establish, okay, this is going to be a character. He has a lot more depth than he seems like on the outside. He's a really good wrestler. He has a face. Uh, remember this face. But none of that came right. up again. He just lost in the first round. Um, and I guess on some level, yeah, he's not going to beat Tiger the Dark because of plot reasons, but why did they have him fight Tiger the Dark? Why wouldn't he have shown some value right, instead of just disappearing after the first round be the one who goes up against uh 
goes up against It's the Ace. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, <laughs> It's the Ace is on his team, so he wouldn't go up against him. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, he bad. would go, yeah, up go up against Poseidon. Yeah, exactly. Who's a non-character, so who cares, you know? Because now, what is it? It's the Ace is going to fight Poseidon, um, just in order so that we can all see Tanahashi get destroyed by Yellow Devil, right? Right. Um, after, I am, have to admit, I am very much looking forward to Ryu getting straight up murdered by Yellow Devil. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Also, I didn't make, I can't believe I didn't make that connection between Ryu and his, and the, uh, the wrestler. I didn't notice that part. Well, I mean, they never say it explicitly, but oh, it was... Oh, okay, but it's obvious that's who they are. Yeah, because Tanahashi's costume is exactly the same except for his mask. And oh, okay, Ryu looks the same. I, like, the only wrestler who actually showed up at the New Japan Pro Wrestling match was Rainmaker. And uh, he was just like, wow, looks like everybody else is in uh, the other match, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was that was kind of funny. But again, I feel like they really wasted Fukuwara Mask. Um, they did. And then, yeah, honestly, not much happened in this episode. It was a lot of setup for Tiger Mask's big match against this random character showed up. And I like Mr. Question. I liked the line where Tiger Mask asks him, hey, who are you? And Mr. Question just points at the question mark on his <laughs> chest. And Tiger Mask and says, like... oh, I guess it's a mystery. And he says, I'll tell you if you win. Ooh. Right. So, I don't know. Uh, the preview for the next episode looked pretty good, though. It looks like we're getting a return to form for the animation. Oh, good. I, that was something, one just small thing I wanted to bring up as well. The art in this episode looked a little rougher, but it was a good type of rougher, yeah. I feel like. Uh, it, it seems, because I feel like the past episodes have been too sterile, and this one felt a lot more stylized than the past couple. Yeah, I agree. Um, it felt campy. It, it was it was fine. Honestly, if we hadn't had the past several episodes, I would have liked this one a lot more, but I've grown right. sort of defensive about uh, Tiger Mask. <laughs> No, I, I understand what you mean. Alright. Um, so, speaking of strong defense, do you want to move on to All Out? <laughs> sure thing. Okay, so... The episode starts off with Ibumi taking over for Oharano. Mm -hmm. And... Then what happens is they make a punt to the other side. Uh, Jinko makes a punt to, uh, punt to Sagami. Mm-hmm. And they think that, okay, so they're in a desperate situation, so they're going to try and pump to us, uh, punt to us and take the ball. Mm. However, what happens is the receiver, who I believe his name was, I think his name was Hana. Yes. Yeah, Hana. Uh, he goes to receive the ball, but instead the camera, the uh, the ball gets snatched from him, and Abumi's the one who does it. And he destroys Hana. He just smashes him. Mm-hmm. And Abumi makes a, he makes a try. Mm -hmm. And so the match starts playing out. They realize that Abumi's really the only th uh, threat throughout the game. Uh, Sagami does, I mean. Yeah. And one and so in the halftime or during a timeout, the coach brings them over and says, "Okay, so this is where we are right now." Because Sagami has pulled ahead, and he tells he tells the boys, "Okay, so you guys know that you can't take on the second best." Yeah. So what? So this is so this is what you're gonna do. You're going to steal what they do. Mm -hmm. You are going to learn... This is a practice game. You're going to learn from them. Whatever they do, you try and steal it. Mm -hmm. And so from there, 
they start finding uh Iwa has a moment where he's being very scared as per usual Gion talks to him and is and tells him hey you need to stand up straighter you know you need to look more imposing essentially because I saw this on TV during a rugby match I was watching mm-hmm. and uh Iwa starts to find some more confidence after this even though he can't pull off the look right yeah. he still manages to kind of grab somebody by the foot as they pass by and knock him down mm-hmm. and then uh, after the uh, at one point we go to a flashback with the advisor who's been watching all this game and he's been being he's been very snarky about things uh, until but he's starting to get a little bit more into the game and he thinks back to when he was first asked to be asked to be the advisor he was thinking uh, it was by like another teacher I believe mm-hmm. who was like hey you know we got this rugby team they need an advisor can you do it and he actually genuinely wanted to help them out yeah and but he could but. And, but he didn't know anything about the sport, but he thought, okay, well, I'll look into it. Maybe I'll grab some books for them. I'll buy some rugby books, and I'll try and study up on it. And But anytime he tries to connect to this team, they shut him down. They're like, we're not going to bother teaching you. We don't want to deal with this. Yeah. And eventually, the advisor just grows, uh, uh, Yoshida, he just grows more and more bitter towards the team. And he's like, fine, they don't want my help. I'm not going to help them. Yeah. And he finally, finally starts to see the real passion in this when he sees Sekizan get a brutal knee to the face. Mm-hmm. Because he di- because somebody drops a ball, he j- starts to die for it, but one of the uh, one of the guys from Sagami High tries to kick it. Yeah, he ends up getting and, kicked in the forehead. Yeah. But Sekizan is just excited. This just kind of awakens something in him. He's like, no, I'm having fun. Yeah. And, and that might have the, been the concussion talking, but... Right! <laughs> But yeah, so, and, uh, and I think that's about where the episode ends. Well, I mean, ultimately, yeah, they, they lose the match. Um, right, yes. Because, so, uh, J- J- you know, Jinko tries to, pl- they play hard to the end, um, but ultimately they're, they're, there's no way for them to catch up. So they, they do right. lose right, right at the end, but... Um, it sort of ends on Yoshida having this realization that he's like, oh my gosh, I haven't actually watched any of these guys play rugby in years. Like, right. He's like, it's been two years since I've even seen a rugby match. Uh, these aren't, <laughs> like, all the bitterness I had towards this team was for students that aren't here anymore. Right. Um, which I thought, I mean, I think, I think that was the one of the, the couple big things from this episode was the transformation of Yoshida. So we knew going in that somehow or other this cynical, bitter team advisor was going to learn to love rugby and love this team again. Because why else would they have this plot element? Um, I thought they did it about the best way they could have. Right. Um, Which they... was... He was basically... You know, he was a very... He wanted to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that his his bitterness came from the team itself. Because going into it, I my guess was that he was going to be someone who had never played sports. And right. so his bitterness was just based on the fact that he saw people who played sports as losers and who didn't um, learn anything, who uh, 
weren't as hardworking as him who didn't take their career seriously and it was just a waste of time it was just gonna be simple like this is a waste of time studying is a good use of time um right but no this is someone and and i realized there was going to be a little more depth to this one uh when the the coach looked at yoshida because yoshida had been giving these snarky remarks right and uh the and then he, but he mentions like, but like he sort of loses a little bit. It's like, hey, that was a knock on. Well, yeah, like and this this is after the fact that the coach looked at Yoshida and he says, "Did something happen to you in the past?" <laughs> right. Like he gives this really honest feeling, like, dude, like who hurt you? <laughs> um, and Yoshida doesn't want to answer that, but like the coach can tell, like this isn't about rugby this is about like someone right. hurt you before and right it's like the coach is kind of like i might have been a little off base with you before yeah exactly because his whole thing was like hey you know you're not giving these boys a chance you know you're not doing your job as an instructor as like a teacher and he's like okay there's clearly a little bit more to the story yeah. here than i thought. yeah this is a little more personal um so it is <laughs> it is nice to see that you know he tried to be exactly what the coach would have wanted him to be he tried to be someone who would inspire the students but they literally just told him to shut up and go away and not bother them um, right. and they didn't want him around so he just donated his books which sekizan ended up studying without right yoshida knowing that but um he was so bitter about the experience of being hurt by the students in the past that he didn't give them a chance um so i mean on some level it's a little it's a little cheesy. He's like, you know, oh, well, right. you know, like Sekizan actually cares. Like maybe I can be appreciated by the students, you know. But I thought it was, it came from a realistic place. Where like, how right. how do we become cynical and bitter? It's because we've been hurt and we're trying to def- protect ourselves. Right. Um. And I, and I like that. Yeah. And I think that, I, I think you put it, you've said it well it, before when you said, like, this is about the best that, this is about the best resolution that they possibly could have hoped for with this. Yeah. Because we, going into this, we knew this guy was gonna, like, see the light. Mm-hmm. Totally. But, uh, I'm just gonna change subjects here for just a moment. Can we talk a little bit about Abumi? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> So Abumi, Abumi is amazing in this episode. Yeah. Um, just the, and it's not just Abumi. It's just the animation just took a real step up. Oh yeah. Like the hits are just so intense. Well, they're and so br- fast. I mean, the the way it looks is when you see someone get tackled, you're seeing a bunch of guys running together, and then suddenly one of them will just, like, fly off screen. And they'll right. be like, what happened? Where'd he go? Whoa! You know? Or just, like, when Abumi, like, knocks this guy down, like, when he knocks down Hana, he's not just, like, like, stunned. He's, like, gurgling. Yeah, exactly. Because he's like, it's like he, he got, like, choked almost. Well, I mean, what happens was uh, Ibumi jumped to receive the ball, and in doing so, he it, it kind of implies that he intentionally kept his knee up, and he kneed Hana in the chin or the throat right. uh, to knock him over, and uh, then just ran in for the try. Uh, so after that, Hana was pretty much... Broken. He was scarred from that. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd be scared too if a guy had just jump kneed me in the face. Um, right. And, and Boomy takes advantage of that. Like, he got in his head because 
uh, Ibumi just darts right for him, and Hana is just helpless. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And then he just, he has this amazing moment, this amazingly tender moment with this guy, where after he's knocked down and he's just sort of stuck on the ground, Ibumi just walks over behind him and just starts adjusting his helmet for him, and is being like, you know, I can help you get your helmet back on. Well, yeah, and he says, like, hey, I... You need to make sure you keep your helmet tight, otherwise I won't be able to hit you at full strength. And you're like, Right. Wow. It's like, oh my god, you're just getting right into his head. Well, and, and that's funny because it sort of parallels with what the coach said earlier about, like, anything they can do, you should steal it. And so right. the big thing from the last episode was that uh, Sagami was getting in Jinko's head. Right? They were they were playing on their right. emotions and they were scaring them and throwing them off their game. And Ibumi's trying to show, hey, look, I'm just as capable of getting in people's heads. This is something <laughs> we can do. Uh, this Which is, is a, a really yeah. interesting turn because I thought what they were going to try and do was they were going to try and do the day st- strategy where it's like, oh, you know, this is the dishonorable way of playing. Oh, yeah. Like, we, we're, we're above this method of play. No, this all out is just like, Jinko High is like, no, we're going to do this. Well, we yeah, are not it, above it. We are not above playing dirty. No, and, it, and at no point does it criticize Ibumi for anything that he does. Right, and and it's kind of it's it's refreshing. Yeah, I like, agree. This is this is the sports series that's like down in the gutter. Oh yeah, and I mean, the characters generally they're not that well fleshed out yet. Right, um, but they do feel a little more like teenage boys than a lot of sports series do. And, yeah, exactly. Um, we said that last week. I think hopefully that's going to be something they're consistent about moving forward. It is so so strange that. The animation has only caught up in <laughs> like a- after seven episodes worth. Right. That, like only like, now is it really at a place where there's something to be excited about. Right. And uh, it's like I, I am at a stage now where I am willing to say All Out is good. I actually really like the series now. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I want I just want to say one more thing before we move on, but. Uh, you joked before we, we started recording that All Out was stealing all the good the good energy from uh, Scorching <laughs> Ping Pong Girls. And one other parallel it has with that is that um, this is a practice match. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And the coach said, hey, guys, like the score doesn't matter. It's a practice match. Just like do the best you can and try and learn something. Whereas, you know, which makes sense because that's what practice matches are for. They're practice. Uh, they're not the end of the world if you lose. Um, whereas Scorching Ping Pong Girls said, we have to win this practice match or else, you know, and you're like, or right. else what? And they're like, or else else. <laughs> you're like, wait, that's the, you haven't explained anything. Um, right. So, so once again, All Out addresses its own universe and justifies it in a way that seems realistic, whereas a lot of other shows yeah. just go for, you know, fighting spirit, um, right. not the show, just the, the spirit. And they're not really able <laughs> to justify that. Um, so speaking of shows that can't justify themselves, do you want to talk about Days? <laughs> yeah, go for it, man. All right, there's not much to say on this one. No, uh, it sucks. It yeah, exactly. Uh, they still aren't able to finish this dang match. Um, the uh, the cliffhanger from last episode was that Sakamoto had a shot, and then they show that shot, and he deflected off the crossbar again, of course. Um, they have a weird conflict on um, 
the Keogawara side between the forwards and the defenders on whether or not the forwards are going to be able to score and they get in a fight over who's going to be able to score and whether the defenders are going to be let down by the forwards and there's some weird flashbacks about it how they only got the defenders to join the team because they promised they would score a lot of goals so when they don't score they're letting their team down in a very specific and personal way anyway um ultimately the whole episode is a lot of still shots of people making incredible plays with speed lines in the background and everyone almost barely scoring a goal, but they're able to pull it off and Seiseki's defense is so amazing and their shots are so amazing, but no one's able to score. Um, Ultimately, towards the end, uh, Usui is on offense. Um, he, He sort of runs forward to assist because Seiseki's down a man. And uh, Keogawara uses the top secret grab his shirt and pull him technique uh, to try and stop him. <laughs> um, but Sakamoto uh, is able to get the ball. He gets fouled. Kimishita takes a free kick and everybody jumps to block his free kick, but he shoots under them <coughs> and scores the end. So now Seiseki's up 2-1, but there's still an indefinite amount of time left in the match with two episodes left. Yeah. Okay, so there was one small thing I wanted to address real quick about it, which was you had kind of pointed out how uh, Kale Gawara's, they're sort of falling apart. I think what they're trying to establish in this episode is the difference between Kale Gawara and uh, Seiseki. Yeah. Which is how Kale Gawara is the new school. They don't know how to deal with pressure, especially like because you know they're they're tied... They're yeah. tied up, or are they down during that break? I don't remember. And so they're sort of yeah, going at each other's throat. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of going at each other's throats, and they don't know, and nobody's stepping up to kind of calm everybody down. Whereas Seiseki, you know, they're starting to go at it, and Usui just wa- just sort of butts in and gets everybody to calm the heck down. Uh-huh. Oh, and yeah. I, I guess that is a parallel and an uninteresting one, but it's a parallel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's that uninteresting. Again, the problem is is that the series doesn't know how to make it interesting. Right. I, I think it's a fine parallel because it shows, you know, this is the advantage of having experience. You have pe- you have people who are trained up in order, who know how to deal with situations like this. It's not so much about the, just the physical ability of the players, but also their, their sort of, their mental connection. Yeah, that's true. Um, the problem is that Usui calms them down in the most boring method possible. He just walks up to them and tells them to close their eyes and take a deep breath. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, what anybody would tell you to do. Yeah. Also, it helps the animation budget because they can literally just pan over people standing (laughs) quietly with their (laughs) eyes closed. I hadn't quite thought about it like that, but yeah, you're not right. You're not wrong. Um... Yeah, it's it's true. I think the the thing that bothered me about it with Keogawara is... (sighs) like they do in every episode of Days, the plot development hinged on the personalities of a bunch of characters we've never seen say anything before. Right. Um, so it was all these Keogawara defenders who suddenly have personalities and feelings, whereas there were really right. only two characters on the team before this, and now there's a conflict between random characters with the random exposition, and it, none right. of it feels earned. Right. Well, because one of the big problems is that they talk about how these characters who are raising issues, they're the ones 
they're the veterans of the team. The, the veterans of this two-year-old team. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, you um, all joined the team together two years ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, but they're kind of trying to act like they're the superiors. Like, they're supposed to be the captains of this team over Kai and uh, Maru. Yeah. But, it's you know, they're trying to play the role of, like, the grouchy seniors who are trying to put the, the younger students in their place. Yeah. But, again, they're... They're of the same age, and Kai and Maru started the team. They're the ones with seniority, so yeah. I don't. I mean, none, I don't none get of it. Dynamic. None of it's earned. None of it's justified. This show sucks. <laughs> uh, it's it's just it's shocking. It's also shocking that they want to spend three or four episodes on this random semifinal match, and they're just you're right. So I mean, there's only two episodes left. The next episode is going to be the end of this match, hopefully. And then they, right. the, it's going to end after 24 episodes, and there's no way they're going to play Toei Academy in that, that final match. Um, no, they are not. My ultimate fear is <laughs> that this show is going to get renewed, <laughs> and they're going to p- pull a Haikyuu and have a season dedicated exclusively to one match. Oh, I, I don't know whether or not to be terrified or excited about that. I it, it would make me laugh for literal days and then cry for literal weeks. Um, so I because I I'm just I'm waiting for that announcement at the end of this season. I yeah. I'm just I'm so waiting for it. Yeah. Because I think because I'm I'm thinking they're gonna pull baby steps and they're gonna end the season with the announcement of day season two. Yeah. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if it comes back. I just. I would love to see if they're actually making money on it, though. Like, who's watching this show other than us? I, 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 because we talked about this before. I found some figures on AmiAmi. They're making figures, fairly detailed and high-priced figures, not of any of the major characters, but, well, they're doing it of Mizuki and Kimishida. Yeah. So I have to imagine it has fangirl appeal. Not only that, but it... Uh, I, I had linked you to an article from Anime News Network about the the top selling manga yeah. in Japan for this past year, and Days was in like the top twenty, yeah, or it was the top thirty or something like it that. Was, it was top twenty, yeah. It was top twenty. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it was in the top twenty. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean, I'm just trying to deny it. Um, <laughs> so speaking of things that I'm trying to deny uh, that exist. Uh, Kate, do you want to uh, jump through an episode of Keijo for me? Yeah, sure thing. Okay, so this was a kind of weird episode of Keijo. It was interesting. <laughs> it had problems, but... Okay. So what happens is... Yeah, episode starts off with a flashback of Miata. She's going... It's in... Because you can tell because it's in sepia tone. <laughs> uh, she... <laughs> Uh, she has, like, an instructional book for Keijo, and she walks in into her father's, uh, into his dojo, and she's like, I have something to talk to you about, father. And then he just immediately says, this the conversation is over, we're not talking about this. He doesn't want her to start playing Keijo, surprisingly. Right. <laughs> uh, and so, and then we kind of flash back to the, uh, to the main match. We have an introduction of a new character by the name of... Ogre Hanayama, who is a gigantic beefy girl who uses something called the God Hip Impact. Okay. Who basically she she basically does the Bowser butt pound. Uh, oh, if you know okay. what I'm yeah, talking. Yeah, 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 from Smash. It, yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> then what happens is, so I mentioned there are three girl, there are four girls on this team. There's Miata. I think I made a mistake last episode. I said it was Rinrin. It's actually uh Fujisaki, okay. who was the girl that Nozomi fought. Okay. 
Not that you would know or care. Nope. Um, <laughs> but what happens is she goes, uh, there, it's those whose characters, and then some girl who's completely unnamed. And I thought this match would start to highlight this character. No, she gets taken out first thing. Mm-hmm. She's basically, she's there to basically, uh, she's there to take the hit to show the how the strength of the other academy, even though we don't even know who this girl is. Mm. And then what happens is, um, so remember how last episode I was complaining about how they haven't established that, you know, this whole team match thing? Like, the whole, the, the whole thing about how they're, the differences between a one-on-one match and a four-on-four match? Yeah, they just don't bother addressing that. They, uh, just immediately, Miyata, Kujisaki, and Fujisaki just uh, do a unified attack against Ogre and knock her immediately out. So we don't have to deal with her anymore. Okay. So really, the uh, the match is just about Miyata's match against Nanase. And basically, what we discover is that she has a technique where... Uh, she can hit people with their butt and make them feel really awkward and weird. Um, I, I can't quite describe it. It's I guess it's like she can hit them, she can hit people or counter people and kind of make them numb. But of course the imagery they use with this is tentacles. So yeah, that's fun. what hap- Yeah, yeah, that's always fun. Uh, and then what happens, so she takes out uh, Fujisaki, uh, Nanase does. And there's this whole big, like, sad uh, defeat scene with Nanase being like, I wanted to win with everybody. And, but, you know, she couldn't do it, and so she wants so she wants Miata to win in her place. And it's supposed to be this big touching moment, but it's also like, I don't know, it, uh, why does this matter? Hmm. Anyway. Uh, anyway, so Miata has to deal with her because uh, Kusaki is busy dealing with the other two members of this team, where she is basically... Oh my god, I don't want to talk about this, but... So, she is using her butt to basically make the... To very lightly uh, rub up against these other girls' private parts, and is essentially making them uh, orgasm. I mean, literally, that's what the series says. Like, they're not even dancing around it at this point. That's what she's doing. Now, I did appreciate... What do you mean, why? Well, okay... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're asking why uh, i mean in universe why uh in universe why i don't know because it, it stops them they don't really give a reason for it i don't understand why she's just not able to just knock them off like that she's fast enough right i guess it's because kusaki's kind of weirdly perverted and she enjoys doing stuff like that because of this whole things that she has with trying to get with nozomi so i guess that's what they're trying to do I did appreciate one line during this. Uh, something I didn't mention from the previous episode is that it was revealed that Miata's father was coming to the match. And so he's in there in the match, and as uh, Kusaki is doing this, doing this to these girls, he just sort of dryly proclaims, this is a technique. Hmm. And then it just cuts away. And so Miata uses W Acceleration, the full purge. So this is an advancement of the W acceleration technique that was established from her before. And she almost beats Nanase by using this, but just at the very end she gives out, uh, her legs give out because she's so exhausted. Sure, of course. And what happens, so uh, Nanase sees a chance to counterattack, but 
Miata instead starts to... Okay, and this is going to be a part you're going to groan at. I actually thought this is a weirdly interesting part of the episode. So what Miata does is she starts rubbing her boobs, right? Mm. <laughs> See, I know I knew what your reaction was going to be, okay? And it's going to get worse. And what happens is she starts rubbing her boobs... And so there's this whole thing established with Nanase about how she kind of has, like, this sort of heat sensor vision. I, I, she can kind of tell where, like, the warm parts of a person's body is. And that's how she's able, to, I guess, to numb people with her attacks. And so she notices that Miata's body is very cold, except around her nipples. So her nipples become erect. And so Miata actually lifts her swimsuit... And they kind of cleverly uh, shy away from this by... They censor it by creating just this shining light. It's supposed to be this very intense scene where she, she lifts up her shirt, her swimsuit to expose her nipple, runs towards uh, Nanase. Nanase manages to sidestep, but Miata catches her swimsuit with her nipple and manages to actually pull her down to the ground in a judo throw. With her nipple? With her nipple. Okay... And there, uh, from there, Miata finally seems to have her father's approval because her father sees that she didn't just run away from judo. She built, she's incorporating her judo into her fighting. Ew. Or into this. Uh, and so she seems to finally have her father's acceptance. I'm so glad I'm not watching this show. <laughs> this sounds like it gets worse every week. Um, I thought the way that... Okay, so I'm not going to say this was, like, phenomenal or anything like that. I thought it was interesting the way the series is actually using the the lewdness. And it's actually turning it into a fighting technique. Like, this... Because the way this came off was, that like, this whole thing about her using her nipple to grab the girl's swimsuit... It didn't feel as perverted as it sounds watching it. <laughs> okay. Like this because you couldn't see anything. Oh, yeah. Like obviously, like obviously, it didn't feel like a very like a big fan servicey moment. This felt like a girl who was in the moments of desperation, and was just at the edge and was using a desperate t- attack to try and finally bring down this amazing player. Yeah. And but. It's sort of, but it's still, it's kind of this weird tension between, like, a weirdly feasible technique. I mean, obviously not really, but... Right, right, right. In-universe but feasible. It, but this is this is the first time that I felt like it was using the lewdness as an actual method of attack. Hmm. Beyond just butt slamming up against each other. Okay. Well, that's that's a, it's a, it's a good report from the land of Kajo. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't want to go into this further, so you want to just go into Long Riders. Yeah, let's let's finish out. Not much to say on Long Riders episode seven, uh, <laughs> nope. except it's you know way behind. Um, so the episode starts off with uh, Amy finally ordering the team jerseys. Uh, everyone loves them so much; they're gonna be so great. <laughs> and uh, no one mentions the fact that they're already in a college cycling club, which they apparently don't. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then Amy goes outside to wash her bike, and then she gets her shirt wet, and you can see her bra through her shirt, and isn't that embarrassing? And then she goes to the bike store, of course, and coincidentally runs into all her friends who just happen to be there. Not Saki. Not Saki, yeah. Um, 
And then they have a four-minute conversation on the importance of bike maintenance. Um, <laughs> and then they go on a ride uh, because her road bike is feeling so good. So they go on a ride and they... Um, Saki can't go, uh, but they go off anyway, and there's some a lot of bad CG, but Amy does well. They get to their turnaround point, and they run into Saki randomly, <laughs> coincidentally, completely actually, they try and say randomly. And Saki <laughs> happens to be wearing their team shirt anyway. And they uh, have curry and talk about how great it is to be a team. And then Saki has a flashback about the time she fell off her bike over a cliff and almost died, and they all laugh at her. Um, <laughs> and and the, the episode ends with them proposing that they do a bike event together, so they're going to do a, a 100-kilo race. And Amy says, what? And then episode ends. Exactly. Okay, so, yeah, you pretty much touched on all the points I wanted to bring up uh, pretty succinctly there. Nice. So, yeah, the fact that they just meet Saki there, like, it's not even so much that they happen to meet her on a route. Yeah, exactly. Like, on a specified route. They actually met her at the exact same time she was stopping off at this restaurant. Yeah, exactly. In the middle of nowhere. And they treat it like it's not crazy. <laughs> right. Like. Well, we're the only just... five girls who exist. Uh, so, of course we'd run into her. <laughs> and not only that, but she's wearing the jersey. So what was the point of her not being on this ride in the first place? Well, right, and the way they justify that is that, oh, well, I couldn't check my phone when you texted me because I've already been riding for the last two days, and I'm going on this epic, like, 300-kilo ride by myself right. because I love cycling, and I don't change my shirt. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I guess they're trying to establish her as being the, like, the super experienced one who's just that into biking. Yeah. But, I I don't know. Like, for the purpose of this episode, I just don't understand why this, like, like, just have her go on the ride with them. You yeah. can still do all, you can still establish all of this, but just, just have her go with them. Because you could have done something interesting. If you're not going to do something like, oh, well, she's not wearing the team jersey out on this random bike ride. You know, she just see, sort of sees these girls, you know, she does, she's not part of the team. Yeah. And, you know, you could do something with the episode about having her, like, realize, no, these are the girls I want to ride with. Yeah, exactly. But, no, she's riding with the team jersey by herself because she just loves her best friends so much that she never right. hangs out with. Her best friends that she just met three episodes ago yeah and i i'm gonna mention it every week if i have to that all like you know so saki and hinako and yoyoi are in a college cycling club at the college <laughs> that all five of them attend right. and they've never visited it <laughs> they have brought up the fact that they should ask amy and Oi to join the college cycling club and then just didn't. Decided to be their own team. I guess. Pay their own money for their own shirts. And for no reason. This 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 stupid show. Uh, it's, it's, there's, it's so bad. Um, right. There's, there's one point at which Amy is trying on her new jersey. And her sister yep. and her mom see her excited about her new jersey. And then Amy gets really embarrassed because she's wearing her jersey it's very unclear that I, in like 
It seems like they're taking every opportunity to make these girls blush and oh gosh, this is similar to something else. Um, make these girls <laughs> blush and get embarrassed and freak out over these random situations that aren't justified. Um, because that's what we want as weird yeah, fanboys. Like I don't know what, what does it I, think we want. Like I, so. I, again, you could have built an interesting joke about this whole fight because I guess the whole thing is that she's running around in her room in her jersey. I guess because she's acting like a little kid. Yeah. And you know, and so her sister and mother walk in on her, and they could have done something funny where, like, she sees them and she's like, "What? I was doing? I was? I was trying to do this privately, but you guys are butting in." Yeah. Like you know, have a moment where she like stands up for herself, sort of unexpectedly. You know, you could do a joke about that. But no, I guess the gag is, oh, she was doing this by herself and her family watched or popped in and she's really embarrassed now. Yeah, also, I'm pretty sure that's the first appearance of her mother. Yes, yes, I was going to mention that. Like, to what end? For a stupid non-joke where she just, like, blushes? Um, This show is such a a painful disappointment for me. (laughs) Yeah. Because I, I feel like that there's an interest because you bring up the the other cycling club and I feel like there's an interesting show that could have been had there like you know they start up their own because they don't like they don't like this college bike club this other uh-huh. this other club that they have yeah uh, because I don't know maybe they're overbearing and they just like do you know they like doing it on their own yeah and nope, they you just know, they ignore they, it completely yeah no it's just kind of ignored it's off to the side there's a there could be an interesting story here but it's just they just do nothing yeah except like give extremely detailed advice on bike maintenance right um, and i because they, they're trying i feel like in these past couple episodes they've been trying to establish yayoi as being oh she you know she's the gearhead she's the one who knows everything about like the structure of the bike but it's like that's only popped up in these past two episodes yeah and it doesn't and really tra- serve any purpose because it doesn't affect the way she rides because right there has been no explanation about what these characters bring to the table in terms of cycling, other than Saki's good at it and Amy's improving. That's it. There's no technique. Yeah. There's no abilities. I mean, this isn't a sports show, but it's like really not a sports show. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it cares about like the idea of cycling, but it doesn't care about cycling well. Right. Um. It's yeah. I, I took very few notes because there's very little content in this show ever at all. <laughs> yeah i mean actually i take more notes on this than i do days but that's just generally to complain about it so yeah. all right i don't know i think i think that might be all i have in my system for this week matt yeah i i'm done i'm done uh would you hit the credits i would love to our logo design is by james ratcliffe the theme music is fly high by burnout syndromes covered and performed by luke bartka you can follow Koshiancast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training. <laughs>